0: Hey, Matsu. Hey, Paula. Hey, so you know how we were supposed to do um, like this panel convening for the 4S East conference in Prague this summer?
1: Yeah, but that went online because of the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so basically, I have another idea. Let's hear it. So why don't we take the panelists and make them do a podcast?
1: That sounds like a great idea. I like podcasts. I do too. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: This is Hacker Cultures, the conference podcast. This year, COVID-19 turned most conferences virtual. So to combat Zoom fatigue, we decided to try another format and turn a conference session into a podcast. This series comes to you from the 2020 Joint 4S East Conference. I'm Paula Bielski, and along with my co-host, Mase Oyala, we're talking with all sorts of researchers who study what it is to be a hacker and what hacking, programming, tinkering, and working with computers is all about. As a technical note, some of this audio was recorded through Zoom. The audio might not be at its best, but it hopefully doesn't affect the content our researchers aim to get across. In this session, we're talking to R. Stuart Geiger and Dorothy Howard. Stuart Geiger calls himself an ethnographer of computation and computational ethnographer and is an assistant professor at the University of California, San Diego, in the Department of Communication and the Haligialu Data Science Institute. Dorothy Howard is a PhD student in communication at the UC San Diego, and her interests broadly span across the psychosocial and material effects of sociotechnical systems on society and on workers' lives and subjectivities. In this session, Stuart and Dorothy will present findings about the work of maintaining community-based free and or open-source software, a short form FOSS, the project focusing on invisible and infrastructural work. Many FOSS projects have become foundational across academia, industry, government, journalism, and activism. Although FOSS projects provide immense benefits for society, they're often created and sustained by volunteer labor. Their maintainers often struggle with how to sustain and support their projects, particularly for projects lower down on the stack like software libraries, operating systems, or kernels, which become adopted as infrastructure. Some growing projects transition into nonprofit foundations, startups, or corporate patronage, while others stand against more traditional organizational models and align with more decentralized, cooperative, or hacker cultures. So, in this session, both Stuart and Dorothy will be talking about this struggle. Let's go to the session. I'd like to invite uh R. Stuart Geiger from the University of California, San Diego, um, as well as Dorothy Rose Howard from the UC San Diego Department of Communication and Design Lab. And it's wonderful to have you here. Uh, It's uh yeah, I'm really excited to hear your uh you know, your research. What are you up to? So I want to first ask. Um, What are you studying, right? What are you studying and who have you interviewed? Who are, what is the field that you've
2: entered really? Yeah. So thanks. Uh, Excited to be here. Um, We've been studying free and open source software maintainers, which is something that because this is a panel on hacker cultures, it's something that comes out of hacker cultures, but has kind of an interesting trajectory. Um, Free and open source software involves developing software as kind of a collected public good in many cases, which is not only free to use, but also free in that anyone can modify the source code and extend it as they see fit. Uh, which initially was often done by volunteers who were donating their time. But now it's become very big and established, and we are particularly interested in interviewing maintainers um, from projects that had become kind of critical infrastructure relied upon, particularly by big institutions, uh, big companies, uh, academia, g- governments. We interviewed 37 maintainers across a lot of different kinds of projects. And it was interesting to also kind of see these new tensions uh, between maybe some of the original hacker culture side of the movement that you might be more familiar with if you've read the work of, like, Gabriella Coleman or Chris Kelty. Um, and then what kind of happens around, you know, big investment, uh, particularly from tech firms into free and open source
1: software. Um. Yeah, sounds good. Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, what is the like context of your research? And uh, yeah, how, uh, how did you get started with this project, this research?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I can talk about our backgrounds as researchers and why we're interested, um, as well as our institutional funding and why that matters to our topic. Uh, as well as some of the theories that we're in conversation with. So our research team is Stuart, myself, but also um, Lilia Rani at UC San Diego. Um, and uh, a, an additional three other researchers that are more on the quant side. Um, we all have backgrounds and interests in decentralized and volunteer-driven communities like Wikipedia, but also labor organizing, um, but we've noticed as participants in free and open source software communities ourselves um, and as stakeholders in those communities that there's growing pains when projects scale up in, or scale down, scale in different directions. Um, we should say that uh, our project is funded by the Ford and Sloat Foundation as part of the um, Digital Infrastructures initiative. Um, and I mentioned that because it might seem a little weird that something coming out of hacker culture is being funded like something some, by something totally. like the Ford Foundation. But actually the Ford has traditionally funded uh, infrastructure projects and research, you know things like roads and bridges traditionally. But now we're academics that are studying digital infrastructure. We're studying free and open source software, something that a lot of people have talked about as kind of the backbone of the internet, the backbone of a lot of computing technologies. Um, And so the way that we've actually been funded is in a way data for us, because it speaks to how free and open source software is becoming more centrally integrated. Um, within the global political economy. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're really in our project. The context is um, STS and we're really taking on the literature of maintenance and repair, um, kind of working through the digital STS side of things, um, studying how technologies are socially produced. But as we've been studying free and open source software, we are also really thinking about labor and uh, our backgrounds in kind of feminist technoscience uh, lead us to think through the epistemologies of knowledge production and the marxist more marxist approach to free and open source software as um, a collective uh, labor projects um, uh, with attention to also the inequities um, that Uh, come with the maintenance of these projects and um, That might involve the kind of valuation or recognition or visibility of different kinds of work
0: Okay, so yeah, so maybe let's be specific like what were some of your initial questions you had in your field? Like what what was it that you really wanted to know? What did you ask specifically? Uh, Like when you wanted to find
2: out what you wanted to find out in your research? The one thing we were really interested in is this role of the maintainer and the work of maintenance. A lot of there's been a lot of research on free and open source software, but it's often focused kind of on contributions in general. And we've seen this particular almost leadership role of the maintainer, which is interesting because often in other domains that aren't software, maintenance is not a leadership role, and it and it is in free and open source software where the projects are often led by a person who is referred to as the maintainer or the core maintainer. Um, Also, a lot of prior work studies, you know, free and open source software is just a subculture in and of itself, and we were really interested in how this subculture is embedded in institutions like the global political economy of of software um, or academic research, um, things like that. And so we did very open-ended, semi-structured interviews as kind of standard, but um, we wanted to ask questions about what was the kind of work they were doing and how visible or invisible it was. And particularly how this work changes as projects grow and become critical infrastructure and embedded into larger mm-hmm. organizations and institutions. And we also wanted to follow up on the emotional experiences of all of those aspects, and because affect is something that's increasingly of interest, but you know less studied in this, this area. So.
0: Totally. Well, yeah,
1: that's really amazing and yeah, super interesting. That's
0: the what you, you love research. A little so bit. So I tried to follow their papers,
1: actually. <laughs> Uh, so that, so uh, can you tell us a little bit like uh, uh, kind of uh, what separates your work, like what is different from all, like existing research that's been done on, like, I don't know, values and motivations of, of like free and open source right, contributors?
0: Like, what do you do that like, I don't know, Chris Kelty hasn't yeah, tackled? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> that's a <the> niche. <laughs>
2: Well, I think one one thing that's interesting, actually, you mentioned Kelty, he actually wrote an article uh, about, you know, a few years ago about how kind of free software is, is different now often than it was kind of when, when me and other people were studying it, you know, a, a while back. Uh, and so that was something we were interested in. Um, but a lot of work kind of on motivations, I think it's interesting that prior work often finds these kind of three big motivations for studying free and open source software, which is... You know, scratching your own itch, which means developing software you personally need and then, you know, giving it away. Uh, More altruist or activist motivations of wanting to build software for the world and produce public goods or that it's helpful for getting a job. And we interviewed lots of maintainers who started off doing it for these reasons, but that changed, especially as their project began to take off and became more integrated into existing big institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one thing that we've learned at a high level is that issues of labor and political economy are deeply linked to issues of motivation and the emotional affect of being a maintainer. So who is recognized and respected for their labor and who benefits from it? Um, and as projects grow and become relied upon by, by big institutions, they, there starts to be new motivations and incentives, but also new stresses, strains, and demotivators. So on the one hand, you know, when you're first starting out, you don't have much of a reputation as a software engineer. It can initially feel really validating for a big company to take what you've given away and, and build their product on top of it. But, um, you know, it doesn't take very long for that to sometimes sour, and particularly when you feel the people using your software are very demanding and entitled or or act that way um, about what you've given away. And so I think that there's a difference also in values that's linked to emotion and affect. Uh, So people can get involved with the vision, uh, a very classic vision that the software they're working on will help people who can't afford commercial alternatives. But then really the biggest users are Facebook or even the US military. And so particularly for the more infrastructural projects. And so some people, you know, can get excited by this and it feels good and it gets resources. You can get paid if your project gets taken up by a big institution that cares about it. But others can, you know, feel really burned out about this and and really get, um, you know, conflicting emotions and things like that.
0: Yeah, so I can mean, let's let's stick with this like idea of burnout, and I am curious to think through how you study and operationalize emotion or affect as researchers, because that's it's not so simple, right? It's a, there's something tricky to it. So can you guys tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, so as Stuart mentioned, um, you know we've done a, about thirty-seven interviews with free and open-source software maintainers and. In those interviews, uh, we did ask people to not just tell us about their work, but we followed up with questions that um, tried to open up, you know, their reflections on the more emotional side of what it meant to do that work. Um, mm. but we didn't want to come in and impose um, our own sense of what, you know, emotions mean or to try to predefine issues. Um with uh there are there is a burnout survey. There's a scale. Um oh, interesting. there's okay. different ways of actually measuring it. Um but we did want to ask people specifically about burnout um in an open ended way where they could describe what they meant and um and then we kind of got very different and interesting responses, both in how people defined burnout, but also in what they attributed to its causes. Um, so, when we asked uh, maintainers about their experiences with burnout, Some people said that, you know, they got to a point in this maintenance process where they um, left a project because they had reached some point where they were burned out and they stopped contributing and they might have rage quit. They might have, you know... Uh, left unannounced. There's different ways that people kind of quit projects, but um, some people burned out, but continued working, but just with less motivation and passion. Mm. um, Which is actually really common in um, a lot of volunteer-driven contexts. There's quite a bit of research about activist burnout, where people talk about um, kind of compassion fatigue in activism where you've reached a point of maybe you're a volunteer that's been doing this a long time, you know, without a lot of um, ceremony or um, recognition, but um, that might not be sustainable in the long term. There might be a lot of different reasons why, uh, you know, people aren't working on the same project forever. But um, we don't think it's just about work-life balance. Um, People often feel really strong emotional attachment to the software that they're working on, to the projects um, as social movements. Um, Mm. And sometimes we we interviewed people who described kind of sticking it out, even when they felt a lot of disillusionment with the project. Because it did offer them some s- other social benefits or um, the problem was when a big problem that uh, you know, people described was when big corporations, um, big tech companies would be really demanding on maintainers, That's um, interesting, yeah. so, you know, a software engineer of a big company um, asking a volunteer maintainer to do a lot of work to um, you know make sure that um, you know they had everything they needed on their side but uh, when someone at a big corporate tech company is being demanding in a way that you know for them they're just trying to do their their job at, at, at in the more on the more business side, but then that doesn't necessarily align with the original motivation of someone that's doing this because mm. they actually just wanted it to be free and open for others. So we noticed some tensions where people uh, burned out from free and open source software projects when they felt a disillusionment when the original reason that they got involved was actually. Um, you know, no longer like a thing that they saw in the project where they felt um, maybe they weren't being respected or um, kind of valued enough by the actual user community. Um, But overall, we found that the social relationships are very important in free and open source software um, Mm -hmm. for sustaining the supportive communities that help people deal with these issues.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting there was an xkcd joke earlier today uh, earlier this week about some uh, random person maintaining this uh, digital infrastructure in nebraska uh, since 2007 without any recognition uh, this is super interesting work so uh could you maybe say a little bit uh, what this project and uh, kind of contributors could learn from this work yeah. and kind of how to generalize just to wrap up with just to kind of What what lessons are there? How how does this, Mm. you know, how does this, how does your work help? (laughs) Um,
3: So we're really interested in recommendations for different kinds of stakeholders. And we've thought of three different levels um, that speak to being more explicit and more communicative about labor uh, in free and open source software, but also mental health. And... um, because
0: this, is... this podcast series was hosted by Paula Bielski and Matze Oyala. It was produced by Heights Beats and Hot Milk Productions with funding from St Gallen University.
1: Thank you to all the panelists and audience members of the Hacker Cultures Panel at the 4S and East 2020 Conference on the theme of "Locating and Timing Matters: Significance and Agency of Science and Technology Studies in Emerging
0: Worlds." By the way, you should pronounce my name, like, correctly. <laughs> you say, like, Pol- Pola or something? But I mean? think I pronounce your name very well. Yeah. Like, you say it's, like, like Masse, or it's not Matse. Is it Masse or Matse? I don't care. No, but no, you should care about what your name is. <laughs> <laughs> it's your name, Matse, or whatever your name it's- is. <laughs> Or whatever it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Masse. Masse. Yeah. Masse. Masse. Yeah. And you, what's your name?
0: It's Paula. Paula. Yeah. Not Paula.
1: Okay, 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 okay. Paula, okay. okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Okay. And yeah. you're Masse. Yes. My mother actually was called Paula. Ah oh, really? Yeah. My
0: father was actually called Masse. No. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, you could <laughs> creep me out. Just <laughs> like super creeping yes. you out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, um right, back to business.